0: At nighttime, have you ever seen a light out of the, like the corner of your eye, and then when you turn to look at it, you can't see it? Anybody? Or am I the only freak? Okay, good. <laughs> so there's a reason why. Do you know the reason why? When you look directly at something, the middle of your eye, the cones, the part that sees in color, there's not a lot of them, maybe four million of those. They they pick up that light, transmit it to your brain, okay? On the outside of the eye are the rods. There's like 500 trillion of them or something. There's a lot more. There's all these rods. They are hypersensitive to light, but they can't see in color. So when you're looking directly at something, the light comes in, hits the cones, which are much better at seeing color, but not so good at low light situations, and when you're not looking at something, the, the light actually comes in and it hits the side of your eye where all the rods are, which are much more sensitive to light, and you can see it. In fact, they train people in the military in low-light situations to not look directly at what they're trying to target or what they need to be looking at because they know that. It's a well-known phenomenon, okay? I think that illustrates something really important. If you want influence and power. If you want to be great, if you want to have your own show, get pulpit power, whatever it is, whatever it is you're holding out there, you can't do it by looking directly at it. You can't get a book on how to be influential. Right? How to win friends and influence people. I don't think it actually works. You're looking directly at it and you'll miss it. It actually has to be something that's a byproduct of a kind of life that you live, and out of that byproduct comes influence and power and greatness. And Paul illustrates this perfectly. Paul could care less about influence or power or greatness. He never said, you know what, I want to be the, one of the top 10 most influential people in history, which he is. He didn't care about any of that. Instead, he had one single focus. I want to be the, a minister the gospel. And because that was his focus, what happens is he starts having power and influence and greatness. It's the byproduct of it. And we'll watch it happen in our story, that there's a certain way that you live your life, and out of that kind of authentic life comes these incredible byproducts. So picking it up, verse 39 of chapter 27. We made it there last Wednesday. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest On planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Catch you up if you weren't here last week. Paul's on a ship to Rome. He tells them, don't sail, it's gonna be bad. They do sail, and it's bad. They're blown off course 14 days, 500 miles. They don't eat. There's no sleeping. It's wintertime. Miserable. I call it the Paul Diet. How to lose 75 pounds in 20 days. Just miserable. Seasick. Just I mean, as miserable as you can imagine. Okay? Have you ever been seasick? So Friday, I took my son, 10-year-old son at that time. He's actually 11 now. He had a birthday on Monday. uh, For the first time, out fishing. Went with Sean Logue, uh, Eddie Isabel, uh, Jimmy Hayes. Sean, myself, Elijah. I actually took Elijah because the fish quota now is only four rockfish. So I'm like, Elijah, you got to go. I need eight fish. You're coming. <laughs> I don't really want to go. You're coming. I'm waking up at six. You're going. <laughs> I'm not dad, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so he comes with us and, and we go, it's just misty. You can't see anything. So the horizon is really important. Have you noticed that? Like you want to look at a horizon. There was no horizon to see. So we stopped for a moment to throw up these crab pots and just it took a lot longer to throw the crab pots than I ever thought possible. And so we're just bobbing like a cork. And I can see Elijah sit down. And then you just see him kind of melting down. And then we go driving out to the place where we're going to fish. And then he just kind of, he just snuggled into me like, ah. I'm like, uh-oh. So we get to the spot. I get his rod set up. I get my rod set up. And we start fishing. And he goes, dad, my mouth tastes salty and hot. I looked at him, just all over the place. <laughs> and then I started catching fish. I'm like, thanks, bro. Man, that was awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> Can you do that again? <laughs> miserable. He's like, we've been out for like 40 minutes. Can we go back now? Sorry, bud. We got like four more hours. Oh, 14 days of it, right? He was miserable four hours, 14 days, okay? So then they make for land. They hit a reef. It's busting up. And the, sa- or the soldiers rather are going to kill all the prisoners because Rome had a law. You lose a prisoner, you serve their sentence. So the soldiers are like, listen, we're not doing that. And they want to kill all the, all the prisoners. Why don't they kill the prisoners? One dude, Paul, right? But the centurion wishing to save Paul, kept them all from carrying out their plan. One dude saves a whole bunch of people's lives. It's a biblical principle. Go to Genesis 18. God comes to uh, Abraham and tells him, hey, I'm going down to Sodom and I'm going to destroy it. What does Abraham do? God, if there was 50 righteous people in that city, would you spare it? God said, sure. Okay. If there's 40 righteous people in that city, would you spare it? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I'm going to ask you one more time. If there's 30 righteous people in that city, would you spare it? Yeah. Sorry I said last time. One more time. 20 righteous people, would you spare it? Yep. Okay. I won't say anymore. Last time, 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? Sure. Right? I wonder if Abraham had kept going, if God would have kept saying yes right? God would have spared the whole city for 10 righteous people, a wickedly sinful city. For the sake of the righteous, I would spare it. You come to the New Testament. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about this spirit of lawlessness that's already at work, but there's something preventing him from having full access to people. There's something literally withstanding that spirit of lawlessness. What is it? I think it's the church. It's God's spirit in the church. Preventing complete chaos. Preventing Mad Max or whatever apocalyptic movie you want to choose. That's what's preventing it, right? Why are your neighbors so blessed? Because of you. And you can tell them that. (laughs) Why is America so blessed? Because there's righteous people here. And that God has this thing. One guy saves 200, or, well, he saves all the the people's lives, no doubt, but then again saves all these prisoners' lives in addition to that. That's what Jesus does, ultimately, the ultimate one. One, Romans chapter 5, saves all wicked humanity. Incredible. So, they're saved, they're jumping in, they're heading out, those that can swim are swimming, people are grabbing pieces of flotsam, and they all make it safely to land, just as God had promised chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people, literally barbarians, anyone who was not a Greek was called a barbarian because it sounded like when they talked, they said bar, 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 bar. So the barbarians showed us unusual kindness. They didn't eat us, which is unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, he's a God. (laughs) It's so awesome. (laughs) Love this. So, Paul is a minister of the gospel. When I say minister, what does that mean to you? Guy with the collar, I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, and I expect a discount at your establishment. What does minister mean? Literally, it means under rower. The guy that's in the bottom of the ship, servant, the guy that's in the bottom of the ship, moving the ship from one place to the next, that's a minister. Not on top, enjoying the sun, playing volleyball, dancing, whatever, in the bottom of the ship, moving it from one location to the next, right? That's Paul. Paul's not, verse three, hey, I hear from God, I don't pick up sticks. (laughs) The other 275 people that I just saved their lives, they can pick up sticks. They can make the fire, right? The people that don't hear from God, don't have the promises of God, don't save everybody on board, they can make the fire. No way. does he do? He gets out, starts gathering sticks to make a fire. I love that. He serves. What's one of the last things that Jesus does before his ascension? He's died, buried, resurrected. You know what he does? He goes to a lake, builds a fire, and cooks his disciples breakfast. I think that's one of the most awesome stories. Jesus doesn't cease to serve. He continues to serve in his resurrected body. I'm a servant even to these guys. I love that. It's so cool. Where does influence and power come from? You're starting to see it. Yeah. So there's a debate. Um, the island of Malta has no poisonous snakes on it. So there's like, hey, how could this be? You know, How could you get bit on an island that has no poisonous snakes? Uh, most people believe it's real simple. Uh, The island they actually landed on is called Malita, which is nearby, same kind of region. And there, there's a horned viper that does exactly what they say. People swell up or fall down dead. So most likely, you know, this is a different time, 2,000 years ago. So that's probably the island that they actually landed on, piece of cake. I love that they go, he's a murderer. No, he's a god. How binary is that, Right? There's no like in-between to it. Either he's super bad or he's super good. Aren't we just like that? Don't we typically categorize people like that? Like that dude's bad or that guy's good. You know how dangerous that is? Because when we make them really bad, then we just shut them out of humanity. "Ah, I don't want anything to do with that dude. He's a murderer. He's really bad. But if we make them really good, they'll always disappoint us. No one's a God. Everybody's a mixed bag. We've well, seen that already with Paul. You know, sometimes doing things that you go, why'd you do that, bro? I don't think you should have gone to Jerusalem. Like, nobody's all bad or all good. We're all a mixed bag. And when you take that with people, when you allow them to be a mixed bag, you get to enjoy them so much more. You don't shun them. You don't put too much high expectation on them. But most people work very muchly in binary terms. Really good? Or really bad. Don't do that. Mix bag. Okay? And then they say this. Justice. It's actually a Greek goddess. Justice. She got him. She got him. Don't we do that? Someone gets sick or you get sick. What do you think? What did I do wrong? Maybe God's punishing me. Your car blows up. Oh, man, I did lie on my taxes. God's getting me. You get fired from your job. You're on Facebook all the time. It's not because you're on Facebook all the time. What did I do wrong? You're on Facebook all the time. God's not getting you. (laughs) You're on Facebook all the time. That's why you got fired. It's not God getting you, okay? But it's in us. There's this thing in us. We're just like this. Most of the time, that idea is bad theology, that you did something wrong, mostly. Sometimes it's not. My favorite example is a bunch of years ago, teaching at Fruitdale. This guy had known I had been walking with him for over a decade. And he comes, in, he comes in, it was a nine o'clock service, he comes in, and he stands in the back, and I remember looking at him thinking, he's got a black eye. So after service, I grab him, I'm like, bro, what happened to you? He's like, Satan is attacking me. I'm like, oh, man, this is serious. What happened? He goes, I got beat up. I'm like, where'd you get beat up at? in Grants Pass. You got beat up in Grants Pass? Whoa, man, that's never happened to me. Tell me, what, what, like, where were you at in Grants Pass? Downtown. You were downtown in Grants Pass, and you just got beat up. Like, what time was it? Oh, it's probably about midnight. Oh, midnight, downtown. What day? Oh, last night. Midnight, Saturday night. Da- where were you at exactly? The Wonder Burr. <laughs> oh. What exactly were you doing at the Wonder Bar at midnight? Oh, I made a pass at a guy's girlfriend and he punched me. I said, bro, that's not satanic. That's just stupid. <laughs> okay? That never happens to me. Okay? Sometimes you get what you deserve. Yeah, you have actions that lead to these repercussions. Okay. That's life. But not always. There's a book. It's called The Book of Diseases. It's fascinating because we can't replicate it now but it was done in the, in the late 30s. They went around to all these tribes that were really kind of primitive, and they asked them these questions about life. How do you see life? One of the questions they asked them was this, why do you get sick? 138 primitive tribes. Out of 138, 135 said, God is mad at us. That's like in us, this, this God's mad at us. I call it the covenant of works that Adam and Eve lived under in the Garden of Eden, that we still have that, that most of us have the covenant of works in our brains and it actually does most of the work for us. That it's, hey, if I live this certain kind of life, I'm going to get this, that, that most of us do that. Now, Jesus directly attacks this. In Luke 13, he says this, hey, there are these Galileans that got slaughtered. And there's these people in this tower of Siloam, and it fell down and crushed a bunch of them. And Jesus says, don't you for a minute think that they were any more wicked than you because that bad thing happened to them. Like, he directly attacks it. That's not the way it works anymore. We're not in Eden anymore. It doesn't work that way anymore, right? Or in John chapter 9, they're walking along, and along, and the disciples see this guy who was born blind, and they say to Jesus, who sinned that this man should be born blind? Him? When do you sin if you're born blind? Yeah, punching mom's kidneys or something. That's it, blind for you, right? Him or his parents? And Jesus says, neither, neither. Jesus directly says, that's not how it works anymore. It's why the book of Job is so important. Because Job is the number one dude for God. Have you seen my servant Job. There is no one as righteous as him, right? He is elevated up. He's the top dude. And what happens to him? He gets trashed, trashed. See, we want life to work like the book of Proverbs, and sometimes it does. But other times, it works just like the book of Job. You do everything right, and you actually get your teeth kicked in because there's another force at work. The Bible is always, there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. We're not in Eden anymore. We are east of Eden. The good news is, one day we go home where things work right. But right now, we're in a fractured, broken existence. And things don't always work like they should. And we got to know that. One day we'll go home where they will. So they're like, hey, whoa, this is crazy. Justice? Nope. Now it works. Now, in the neighborhood of that place, where lands belong to the chief man of the islands, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. 276 people for three days. Anyone able to do that here? Right? That's insane. What a a good man. It happened. I love this. So he is hospitable. Look what happens to him. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So this guy, hospitable, return is hey, he serves 276 people. And now his dad gets healed. Really cool. And Paul meets Publius, this top dude of the island. Why does is Paul get to meet him? Probably because he'd been bitten by this snake and he didn't die. And people are like, this dude right here was bitten by one of those snakes and nothing happened to him. He didn't swell up and he didn't fall over. Check him out. Wow, okay, that's cool, right? It's really cool. And because of that, he gets to share the gospel, right? And then this, the, this father is sick. It's called the Maltese fever, it's really common especially in this time, you get it from drinking goat's milk. That's why I will not drink goat's milk. It's not a, not a tough decision for me, and this is not something I like. So you get it from drinking goat's milk, and it's a massive fever. It can last for years. You can just be sick, vomiting, feverish for years and years and years. It's super, super bad. So this guy is sick, bad, ugh, and then Paul comes in and heals him. Now, what was the spark of all that? Why did all that take place? The entire island now hearing the gospel, people being healed, what's the spark that started it all? He picked up firewood to make a fire. He served. Paul got off the ship, shipwrecked, thrashed, 14 days with no food, gets up and starts serving people. And because he does that, it opens this door. To me... Service is the key that opens almost every door. You want to open people's doors, their hearts? Serve them. Serve them. I had this dude back in like 2009. He could not get a job. I would prayed for him. We talked. And back in 2009, if you remember, there's no jobs. Josephine County was like 11% unemployment. We led the state in unemployment. We were just, it was bad, 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 bad. So he came up to me after a Sunday. He's like, I got a job. I'm like, wow, what happened? His wife was there and his kids were there. He's like, well, you remember that Christmas Eve service we had a couple days ago out in the bowl? I went and volunteered to set that up. Remember when they, we had those, there's a lot of setup. He's like, I just I didn't have a job. I thought, I'll go set this, do this. So he goes out there, he sets it up. Someone else that was there that had a company is watching him work, and he's like, hey, do you have a job? He's like, no, hired him on the spot. That's so cool. And his wife immediately said, I told him to volunteer. <laughs> well, behind every man is a good woman, <laughs> no doubt about it. Right? That's what happened. Doors just open. Doors open. I love that. You won't outgive God. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, running over. Paul has this open door. Why? Because he got off a boat and said, I want to serve people. And now, boom, the entire island. Here's the gospel. People are saved. People are healed. Brilliantly. You'll never regret it. C.S. Lewis, what's what's his most popular book? Yeah, one of those, The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, is consistently top 10 best selling book in history. You know how I got the idea for that book? World War II. People are fleeing London because it's being bombed. And what they are mostly doing is sending their children out of London to go live with people that live somewhere else. So, uh, C.S. Lewis, unmarried bachelor, giant mansion, you know, Oxford Don, just professor, didn't really like kids. He said it, I don't really like kids. He says, okay, fine. Brought in these three little girls to his house. And so they're just running around doing their thing. And for a while, he's just watching kids. Like, hmm, he's learning about children. Like, this is what children do? Wow. i glad I didn't have any of them. This is so good. <laughs> and then one of them, he had this wardrobe. And one of the little girls said, what? what's behind that? What happens if you go in there? And he went, huh. That's an interesting question. Out of that came his best book ever. Why? Because he opened his home and serve three little kids. You will always, always be blessed if you open your home to the people of God. Hmm, It's amazing to me. So it's like that, but you can't look at it directly. If you're saying, well, I'm gonna serve because I want influence and greatness, you'll ruin it, right? It has to be, I wanna serve people. I wanna serve people. That has to be your motive, right? So all this is opened up because Paul says, I'm gonna serve people that's his way of life. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as figureheads. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. On the second day, we came to Patuli where we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. When we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him." Paul's probably anxious right now. What's going to happen when we get to Rome? What's going to happen when I stand before Caesar? What's going to be happening? And then as he's walking from the port, it's over 40 miles. He's walking now on the Appian Way up to Rome, wave after wave of believers come out to meet him, walking 40 miles. And Paul sees them, and he takes courage. Now, why would they come out to see Paul? he wrote this letter to them. It's a letter called the book of Romans. and like, we like that guy. We really like that guy. We want to go see him. We want to go talk to him. Paul is just a love for people, right? In that epistle, he greets about 20 people, even though he'd never been at that church. I always tell people, can you name 20 people at the church you actually go to? He could name 20 people of a church that he didn't even go to. Because he's just a people person. And now it comes back and it pays him back and now they're coming out. Because Paul had this idea about church. It's actually a family. That you come into this thing called the family. That yes, the decision to believe in Jesus is personal, but it's never private. That every baby that's born is born into a family and now you belong to this family. And so he was into that and now it becomes, it's repaid. People start to visit him. And they come visit and encourage him like there is a massive ministry, just a ministry of visitation. Just visit people. right? I spent an hour with a guy at Regency Nursing Home, I think. It was, just, it, was, it was the best hour of my day. I studied this morning, did some other stuff, went and visit him. Just loved, he told me story after story. I'm laughing, crying. Why? Visiting him. That's it. James 1, 27 says this. Pure religion is to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. Not necessarily rescue them, because sometimes you can't rescue people, but you can sort of sit with them and love them. Let your heart be broken by that. Just visit. Beethoven, I have this story of Beethoven that I love. You know, he's a brilliant composer at this point. End of his life, he's going deaf. And so for Beethoven, having conversations with people is really hard. And one of his best friend's sons died. And so he's like, what do I do? If I go over there and I try to console him, he's going to start talking to me and then it's just going to be awkward and weird. So what he did was he slipped in the back of this guy's house, went over to a piano. And for just a long time, he just sat at this piano and he just played. He just let his friend be on a couch weeping. He just played the piano. And after he was done playing the piano, he got up and slipped back out. He just did what he could. His friend later commenting on that said, that was the best visit of anyone. Just this music filled my home. Godly, cool, creative music by a friend that I knew he was doing what he could to love me. Visit people. Visit people. Loneliness is an epidemic. I've told you guys that. It's the same. Being lonely is equivalent to your health as smoking 20 cigarettes. Right? We should know that. Genesis 2. It is not good for Adam to be alone. It's like smoking 20 cigarettes. (laughs) I got to get you a friend, man. (laughs) We should know that. We should be people that know we're born into a family and we might have to walk 40 miles. Okay. That's what they did because people are worth it. Paul, you're worth it. And he took courage. I've got courage now. Ah. And I think it leads him to do this. Verse 17, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, "'Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar.'" though I had no charge to bring against my nation. I'm not bitter against Israel. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. We talked about that hope in chapters 26 and 25 when he gives his testimony. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So Paul shows up in Rome and he immediately deals with the elephant in the room. How are the Jews gonna feel about me here? He's assuming they're not gonna like him. I think the only reason why he did that is because he knew, I got a bunch of friends here. I'm good. i got all these people that love me here. I've got courage. Verse 15. And so he's able to just, hey, this is who I am. This is what happened. And they're like, we haven't even heard of you. Whoa, okay. I think it's a case of NIMBY, not in my backyard. Once Paul was out of their area, they'd care less about him. Yeah, go do whatever you want to do as long as it's somewhere else. We don't care. So Paul's like, praise the Lord. The water's not polluted. I'm going to share with you. And that's what he begins to do. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreement among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. "'The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, "'Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. "'You will indeed see, but never perceive. "'For this people's heart has grown dull.'" And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes or hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. So they come back big crew of them. Paul preaches from morning till evening, probably 12 hours. That's a long, long sermon. Some believe, some don't believe. This is the apostle Paul. Some people didn't believe him. That should encourage you. Author of 13 or 14 New Testament epistles, some people don't believe him. No, I don't believe you. That should encourage you right? And what he talked to them about was two things, the kingdom of God and Jesus from the Old Testament. So he's saying, hey, look at Isaiah 53. They're like, nah. Okay, look at Psalm 22. Nope. Okay, look at Isaiah 11, the root. Nope. Okay, look at Isaiah 9, born of a virgin. Hmm not buying it. Okay, look at Micah 5.2, born in Bethlehem. Yeah, nope. Ah, okay, fine. Right? All out of the Old Testament. And they say, nope. Nope. So then he quotes Isaiah chapter six. It's a quotation that Jesus in the, in the gospels four times, this is attributed to Jesus. And Paul actually says it twice here in Romans chapter 11. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament text, six times the New Testament. You're going to see, but you can't see. You're going to hear, but you can't hear. Why not? That's kind of scary, right? That people will have the inability to see, and then the last phrase is turn or repent. It's most likely, I haven't checked this, but I'm guessing it's the Hebrew word shoe, and I would heal them. So in the original, Isaiah, it's used all throughout the Old Testament. They won't shoo and I could heal them because they can't see and they can't hear. Now, why can't they? I think the key is that it says this, and their eyes they have closed. I don't want to see. They don't want to be changed. Maybe the best example of this in the Old Testament is Pharaoh, who you see with Pharaoh that it goes back and forth, Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, just read that. I just read it. I'm in Exodus right now, reading through the Bible. Just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's like we make the decision personally, no, I don't want to hear. Then God at some point ratifies it, okay? Then you're not going to hear. That's what happens here. And it's all based on how you're listening. Are you listening willing to say, God, change me. I know I'm broken. I know I need help change me? Or do we listen in a way that says, I just want to argue and I want to be right. So I'm not even listening to your, what you're saying. I'm listening to one little thing that I can pick out and then destroy you with. There's a way that you listen correctly, There's a way that your hardened heart listens. I'm always saying, soften my heart, Lord, help me to hear from you and to be changed by you. They don't listen that way. So he's like, okay, fine. This is going to the Gentiles. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God again and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ again with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. I love how it ends. First time in Paul's ministry, he can share about Jesus Without any hindrance. Now, why is he so free to do it? Maybe it's the fact that he has a Roman guard right next to him. And any Jews that wanted to try to get him that did not like what he was saying, they'd be like knocking on the door, "Hey, hey, let's get Paul." And the Roman would open the Yeah, what do you got? Oh, nothing. I think wrong address. <laughs> right? It's like a cop parked out in front of a house. No one's messing with the house. And guess why? He just—I kind of like having this guy chained to me. This is awesome. I got freedom. He talks about two things, kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the kingdom of God. Ephesians puts it like this, that God would take Jew and Gentile out of these two diverse groups, mold them, and blend them together into one giant family. Ephesians 2 and 3, kingdom, kingdom, family. So I went to family camp this weekend. So fun, so fun, right? In fact, when you're you're at family camp, there's so much, there's almost too much to talk about. Anyone? Yeah. There's almost too much to talk about. There's almost too much to say when you talk about family camp. Sorry, I got it wrong. We brought with us this junior from Grant's Pass, and and she's been on a lot of like stuff, church stuff. And on the way home, she said, That was the funnest church thing I've ever been on in my life. She goes, This is so awesome. It's amazing. And then we're talking to these, we call them the orphans, these like high schoolers that actually didn't come with anybody, they just kind of float around. And they said, Here's what we love about family camp we can go into any campground and get fed. Like, it doesn't matter. Just go in there. Like, man, I came into my, my mother home and there's just a random dude in my fridge. Like, are you with Edgewater? No, I just heard there was fish in here. Okay. I think that's gonna be heaven. Heaven will be, you can go into anyone's mansion and raid their fridge and they don't care because we're his family. One big giant family. That's kingdom, right? And then the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. Here's the kingdom. Jesus is the demonstration of it. It's Philippians chapter two. It's the upside downness, really the right side upness. It's the upside downness of the way things are. So Jesus, thought not robbery to be one with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself and became a man, right? Upside down, upside down. And you see hints of this actually, You do, because from Genesis 3 on, what you see is there's something broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Instead, people fight fire with fire, and they end up with just a bigger fire. It's about getting more for me, right? It's it's Genesis 6, these people accumulating massive harems of women for themselves and money for themselves. It's all about me. How do I get my thing? And vengeance on anyone that dares cross me. I'll get you, I'll kill you. Right? Seven times upon your head. That's what happens after sin. It's broken. It's a covenant of works. Do, I'm gonna get for me. Now, how does Genesis 3 all the way to the New Testament? does it work? That mentality. Not very good. Not good at all. So Jesus comes and says there's a different way. And and, and the whole Bible's been hitting at it that the order's gonna be disrupted. That's so over and over in Genesis, it's not the older that's chosen, it's the younger. I'm not going to take Esau, I'm taking Jacob. It's not Reuben, I'm going to take Joseph. Over and over, it's this disruption of, what, what, what? what? It's the undeserving getting blessed. Over and over, it's this disruption that it's not going to be like you think. So there's these hints of it, and then Jesus is the home run. You just read him, it's like, that is upside down. John 8, Old Testament says, that woman is to be stoned to death. What does Jesus do? Woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more, right? Upside down. Wait a second. Right? Forgive people. How many times should we forgive? Seven times? Pfft. Seventy-seven times or some translation, seven to, We don't know exactly how to translate that. Seven times, 70. Way more than you could ever imagine, if someone hits you on one side, what are you supposed to do? Hit them back? Hmm. Turn the other cheek. Right. People are nice to their friends. Big whoop. You're to pray for your enemies. Right? That, that life is not about you getting more stuff. You know, your harems or it, It's not about that. It's not about you protecting your rights. That's not actually how life is lived. It's not about you pursuing your own happiness and joy. Because if you look right at it, you'll miss it. Just look at Instagram. People looking at, trying to make themselves happy. Are they happy? Oh, my goodness. Depression's through the roof right now because they're staring right at it. This is what I have to do to make myself happy. And they're missing it. Jesus comes and demonstrates it looks a lot different. It's Philippians chapter 2. Even though I could demand my rights and demand my way, I don't. I serve. And through service comes influence and power and greatness. And that's the upside-down kingdom. That Paul says, this is the way it works, man. That's why I grabbed firewood after I've been shipwrecked, because I just want to be a servant. Because Jesus has demonstrated that to me, and I want to be just like Jesus, because that's life. That's life. That's kingdom life. It's amazing. I talked to this guy, and he said this. He said, the best marriage advice I ever got was, when you argue with your wife, just say, it's my fault. No matter what, you just say, it's my fault. He's been married for like 50 years. I said, that's a good one. That's the upside down kingdom. Not about my rights. Oh, I will teach her and I'll show her. No, even if you're right, it doesn't matter. It's my fault. I love that. And we come to the table and there's no better example of the upside down kingdom than the table. Like we do this thing that what are we remembering a grave, a funeral, death, a cross, right? That's weird, but it's not. Because it's when Jesus lost, he actually won. When he died, he actually killed death upside down. And that's what we celebrate. And that Acts ends really funny, doesn't it? It's just like, what, that's it? There's no like, and they live half, no, why? Because we're Acts 29 right now. We continue to live this book. It's you and me. And so we go saying, I want to talk about the kingdom, that God wants to grab in all these people and make one new family out of them. And Jesus is the demonstration of how to do it. And so I want to be just like him. And so as we eat and we drink, we say, Jesus, make us like you. So we can go out there into Grant's Pass or into our neighborhoods or into my workplace and be those that are saying, I'm going to make this great big family. That you can be welcome out my house to raid my fridge. And I won't care. Because we're family. So, Jesus, as we partake tonight, may you be knitting our hearts together. May we look like a little outpost of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming, where it's not about my rights or whose right. It's not about getting more for yourself, but it's about being molded into the image of you, our King, who demonstrated how to serve and how to love and how to give. And that's what we want. May we be a church. May Wednesday night be a group of people that are being sent out from here every Wednesday night. Living as light, living as salt, living like mirrors reflecting you. So as we partake, would you do that work in us, we ask.